Hey everybody, welcome to You Have to Watch This Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And joining I'm us <laughs> and joining us from Victims and Villains, filling in for Devin this week, is Josh Captain Nostalgia from Victims and Villains. Welcome to welcome back, Josh. What's up? At least I got to fill in for someone good looking. <laughs> yes. Uh Devin is currently on uh mini vacation. He's um he he will be back in two weeks. Um, he sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, but before we get into today's show, uh, we're gonna do our new segment where we talk about things that we've watched recently. Uh, be, like we watched this, like di- things that we're not gonna dive into in depth, but just little recommendations that we have. And Josh, because you're our guest, have you seen anything good recently that you want to recommend to? Our viewers? Yes. So in the in the vein of what we're talking about here today, I am going to recommend a movie called Skull the Mask. It is a, uh, I want to say Portuguese film. Okay. Um, but basically it is a cross between a supernatural film and a slasher film. Uh, and it's going to be streaming on Shutter as of this upcoming Thursday. You guys can read my full, full spoiler-free review on victimsandvillains.net forward slash uh, reviews. Basically, the movie tells the story of a ancient totem that uh, just sucks people into its power and then kills people. Uh, so if you like fun, you like gore, and you like rich cinematography, the movie's beautiful uh streaming this thursday on shutter it's called skull the mask awesome uh the link to victims and villains is in our twitch chat um so before we move any further uh josh tell us a little bit about victims and villains because i we at the top of the show i always want to give you a minute to just talk about your platform and what you guys are doing over there sure so we are a nonprofit organization that creates content where we educate and engage individuals on mental health awareness and suicide prevention through various pop culture um, outlets such as uh, comics, film, uh, video games, cooking, just you name it, we're, we're on top of it. And uh, yeah, we have, a, we have a podcast, YouTube channel, and we're here on Twitch, even though technically don't do a whole lot here on Twitch, but hopefully that's about to change. Yeah, we're working on uh, that. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you guys can find victims and villains everywhere. You guys get your podcasts from. Um, we've got some cool things in the pipeline this summer that I'm really excited about. And uh, Alan is one of our writers, so yes. it's it's a great time. Yeah, and uh, if you subscribe to the Victims and Villains Patreon, I believe you can find an episode of Ryan and I talking about Mighty Ducks two and three. Indeed, you can. It yeah. comes out mm-hmm. tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, perfect timing for that. Um, so go check that out. Uh, Ryan was very excited to be put behind a paywall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually. I was. He was. I that, did not realize that when we started. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I was like, oh, I'm behind a paywall. I'm. <laughs> you have to pay to listen to me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Patreon helps get uh, mental health resources to those who need it uh, mm-hmm. into yep. schools and all that. So it's a great cause. So if you're looking for another Patreon to support, I highly recommend that one. Uh, all right, moving on. Ryan, have you watched anything good recently? 
Well, uh, I know you asked me about this before, and I kind of changed my mind when I was listening. Um, it's it's not new. It's something that I kind of touched on, and I never really actually sat and watched. And that's Super Bowl. Uh, that's Super Super Bowl, Dragon Ball Super, because okay. I'd seen parts of it, but I'd never seen the whole thing. And now that it's on Yuhu, um, I'm just binging the thing. Uh, not Yuhu, Yahoo, um, okay. not Yahoo. Yeah, Yahoo. No. no, what's the name of the app? Hulu? Hulu, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know what you were... I was like, I'm pretty sure Community killed the Yahoo streaming platform, but okay. Yeah, they had a streaming platform? Anyway, don't, don't. I don't want to go down that. Anyway, um, it's, it's what I wanted. Um, if anybody is a Dragon Ball fan, you know of Dragon Ball Z abridged, and they pretty much just make fun of Dragon Ball Z, but in a way the fans would appreciate it. And I feel like when the original creators of Dragon Ball went back and made Super, they watched abridged. And they were like, oh, okay, people want us to make fun of these characters, so we'll just do it in the show. <laughs> yeah. So it, I highly recommend it for any Dragon Ball fans that hasn't seen it yet. Okay. Uh, for me, I I've rediscovered something that I, I don't think a lot of people know exist on a certain platform, and I need people to know about this. Um, whose line is it anyway? The the classic improv show from the '90s and early 2000s is on HBO Max. You can go in there and watch all of the Drew Carey, Ryan Stiles, Wayne Brady, Colin Mockery episodes of Whose Line. They've, they've had it online for years with the CW Seed app, but now it's on HBO Max. So if you're paying for HBO, you have this show to your at your disposal. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great watch. Um, I've always loved that show. And the only thing HBO Max is missing now is the Drew Carey show, because once they get that, then I'm, then I'm sold and might cancel all of my other streaming platforms. <laughs> I completely forgot about the Drew Carey show. I used to watch that show all the time growing up. It, it sucks. You can only get season one on DVD because of the music rights. Because they did yeah. mu- different musical numbers all the time. They never got the rights for home video. So they only have the first season on DVD. I Le- wonder if that's going to actually tie up the streaming rights as well. I, I think it will. You can still see it on syn- in syndication on like... Um, the uh, the those channels that show like old t like old TV shows that are like affiliated TV with TV Land, yeah, not even TV Land. Um, uh, the channels that like around here are, we have ABC twenty seven, but it's like twenty seven point one, twenty seven point two, like uh, the Me TV channels, like those those things. Oh, okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You can still see it there. That. My sister years ago said, I'm watching the Drew Carey show. It's on TV. I was like, why am I not watching this right now? Like, I want to watch. <laughs> um, it's like, what am I even doing with yeah. my life? So uh, if there's any nothing else for me to say, it's bring the Drew Carey show out. Like, release the, the Drew Carey cut. Uh, <laughs> all right. Without further ado, let's get into today's pick. Uh, this... Today's pick is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, this was chosen by Josh. Uh, so, <laughs> without further ado, I'm going to give uh, toss the show over to Josh and let him uh, talk about his pick. So, the, uh, I grew up, as I've said several times on my 
the, the Victims and Villains podcast, I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household. And I, while I still hold a lot of those Christian beliefs, I'm not as conservative. I'm not conservative nowadays. Uh, and one of the things that really helped me kind of get through my grandmother's death as a child was turning to movies and becoming a cinephile. And uh, I remember watching glimpses of Texas Chainsaw, Jaws, Back to the Future, uh, just a lot of like the iconic films from like the 70s and 80s. And I was never allowed to watch them until I was 18 and got a Blockbuster membership because that's what you did when you turned 18. You went to Blockbuster, yes. got a membership. Uh, I still have my card somewhere, but I, I remember being just being enthralled by it the first time I watched it. And as I've grown into my love of horror, uh, this film has always kind of been that cornerstone for me. Um, and so much so that we all know how much 2020 sucked. The way that I ended 2020 was I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I queued it up to where Sally is drenched in blood in the back of the pickup truck. And she's laughing. And the very first thing that I saw in the new year was Leatherface dancing. <laughs> Great way to start the year. Uh, so this movie's always been kind of one of my favorites. This is one that I've only seen once. I'm not a huge horror guy. This is one that... I saw in film school. Uh, I took a class that the, the focus was violence in film. And this mm-hmm. was one of them. It's the only film course I failed. Uh, and they, I just couldn't get into the, the subject material. Like I couldn't write a paper on blue velvet by David Lynch. Like it just, what I just couldn't wrap my head around what was going on in most of the movies that we watched, <laughs> but we watched this um, and this was one of the ones that I was like, okay with in the class. Um, it, it's very formulaic horror. Like from nowadays, you can tell where the, like you got the final girl and all of that sure. stuff. Um, but I, I enjoy this film fine. I'm like, I said, I'm not huge on horror, but I like a lot of what I like some of what this film does. So and another thing too that's uh, that's really been interesting for me to revisit this time in preparation for this podcast was uh, the guy that played Leatherface, Gunnar Hansen, before he died, wrote a book called uh, Chainsaw Confidential, and it's like all about like the DIY filmmaking experience mm-hmm. of Chainsaw Massacre, and it's <clears throat> fascinating. Um, that's a book I, I would recommend yeah. jumping back into the first. Uh, if you guys have a chance, I think it's like, I think I paid like f- five to ten dollars for it on Kindle. It's now out of print, but okay. It's, it's if you guys are a fan of this this movie, it's definitely going to enhance that experience. Yeah, we'll we'll talk a bit more about the DIY ness of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a bit because I I do have having worked on a few film films, I have some thoughts. So, which leads us to our our newbie on this film. Ryan, <laughs> what did you think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I actually really liked it. Um, I'm very critical of films from the 70s in general uh, that aren't, like, you know, that 
aren't what I would call like stereotypical 70s because there were certain film styles in the 70s that is very unique and it's stuff that I'm just like not a big fan of. Um, this film in some parts does suffer from that, but overall I really enjoyed it. Um, when it comes to horror myself, I like a mixture of suspense, some, you know, uh, suspense, outright scare, and maybe some gore. Whenever you get a horror movie that leans into either just shock value or just gore, those are the horror films that I honestly don't want anything to do with. <laughs> okay. That's fair. And some of some of Texas Chainsaw's narrative kind of leans into that a little bit, but the way that they do it, it doesn't it over it never feels overly grotesque. Yeah, exactly. Like there are moments in this movie that definitely feel grotesque like the the opening to this where you have the exploration of the flashes from the camera and that now iconic sound and you have that imagery of like exploring dead bodies through these pictures and then you also have that uh newscaster kind of talking about like all like the recent deaths and, and missing people that have kind of taken place in that particular area of texas uh hooper does a really good job at setting the tone really quickly but also keeping that tone consistently throughout the entire bit the entirety of it even when you are just in the van like the film is one of those films that just looks it feels grimy because if you've ever been to Texas in the summer or any part south, <laughs> understand what that grind feels like. Yeah, I think the uh, the scene in the van is probably my favorite of the whole film because it's it's tense because you don't know what the the hitchhiker is going to do next, and I think it does a great job of building that tension and like just letting him be crazy uh, a little bit. So. I, I just really enjoy that scene because it like you can just feel the sweat and the stickiness of that the back of that van. Yeah, it, that's what. It, there were moments in this where I kind of had to like pause uh, my 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 brain because I was falling into like pulling a few Devons when I was watching this because I kind of had to remind myself occasionally that this is from 1974. A lot of the stuff that's annoying me at the start of this is all stuff that other people took to make their horror movies. So it's like, this is like the first or like second or third time that this was done. And it's like, it's like I was seeing things and it was making me go, no, don't pick him up. What are you doing? Stop. You know, because it, it, it was so classic, you know, like horror trope. And I had to stop and remind myself, this is 1974. They didn't really make movies like this prior to 1970. Like, this is you're seeing the beginning and then once i got that through my head i was like oh yeah no this is great because I, because i was starting to see those things that i see in a lot of other films and it's like cool this is where it came from especially that scene in the van like that whole conversation they had like that was that was good it was yeah. a really good scene can you yeah guys, the real quick ahead, can, can you guys hear the music that's my neighbors are blaring right now no i cannot okay good so i want to make sure it's not coming through my microphone no, you're good. Uh, to your to your point, Ryan. Like this film was really, uh, it was innovative in a number of different ways. 
Uh, I mean, you look to the year 1974, you have this film and Black Christmas that are spearheading and pioneering the slasher subgenre, but won't actually get credit for it until years later because these were DIY movies. And you can feel the DIY just tension and the exploration of a lot of these stuff. Um, one scene in particular that I always love, you guys talk about loving stuff, is the scene where Pam stumbles into the to the chicken room and it's like the camera's just exploring all of like the bones and kind of like how they're incorporated into art and, you know, lighting fixtures and just a lot of like chicken uh, feathers everywhere. But these two, for these two movies and even to a lesser extent, the last house on the left was a, they were completely innovative. They were completely, uh, you know, rewriting what we knew about horror at the time. And then a couple years later, you're going to have a little movie called Halloween that kind of comes up and completely just destroys expectations and really puts this genre on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, this is, so with the horror genre, I talked a bit before about the final girl. Is this one of the first instances of the final girl? Or is there, yes. were there more before it? Yes. Yeah, so that goes back to what I was just saying. Like yeah. you had, you had this one and then you had the girl from black Christmas, 1974. It was the name is escaping me at the moment, but they were the first two final girls. But again, okay. that was never acknowledged as a trope until Laurie Strode in Halloween. Okay. And even from there, uh, I forget the guy that wrote the book that kind of like explored all of these like horror yeah. tropes, but it was like done to death in the like the 1980s by that point. Jamie Lee Curtis gets all the credit and all the activity of commercials. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this film was real quick. I want to talk about the director, Toby Hooper. Um, so he out of the films that he's known for on IMDb, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and then Poltergeist. But I've heard a lot of things about him on Poltergeist. Uh, Josh, have you heard the stories about him on that? Yes. Okay. Um, Shudder did a great series last year called Curse Films where they took half-hour documentaries and they explored each film's uh, that had like deaths tied to them, stuff like the Exorcist, the the Omen, uh, the Crow, but Poltergeist ended up actually being one of them. And yeah, Toby Hooper was something else on that set. Yeah, uh, if he was even on the set, there's a big um, conspiracy in theory in in Hollywood that Spielberg directed most of that movie. Like Toby Hooper was there, but not always, and Spielberg ended up taking over the film. I had not heard that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. J just looking at his uh, filmography after the fact, um, it kind of would make sense that he was maybe blacklisted for, because of that, because it is just a lot of like TV shows and smaller projects af from that point on, because Spiel like Poltergeist was a big blockbuster, like meant oh, to be yeah. a big blockbuster horror film. And then he doesn't really do anything big that big again 
after that. So I'm wondering if Spielberg did use his pull to get him like on a blacklist. I would go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. I wouldn't be surprised because Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I mean, uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the sequel and then Sleepwalkers, which I've seen and then coming to America. And then you look at all the other films he's directed and then you get the poltergeist. There's like that's like a student who always writes C papers and then all of a sudden comes out with an A plus. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I, I'm not big on conspiracy theories, as you know, but I'll believe that one in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, all this it, to say, go ahead. God, I was going to say, like, uh, I, I definitely think that he might have been, uh, so the thing to consider about Toby Hooper is I, I think that it might be kind of a David Lynch Dune situation where he tried his hand at the big budget studio and just didn't want anything to do with it because he was adamantly against uh, writing and directing a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And when Canon was like, hey, we will greenlight these other two projects that you want us to do, but you have to write and direct a sequel to Texas Chainsaw. And I don't know if either one of you guys have ever seen this the sequel. The sequel is like comparing Evil Dead 1 to Evil Dead 2. It's very much a satire. Uh, it's a black comedy. I mean, it, it's a wild, weird ride. Uh, but it's so unlike Texas Chainsaw 1. Does it retell the first film in the first five minutes just as quickly as possible because they didn't have the rights? It kind of catches you up in that way. Okay. But just the... The way that they treat Leatherface is it's so freaking bizarre. And then the cook gets an extended like he's such a like a small part part in here, but he's a major player in the sequel. Uh, okay. it, it's a wild ride. Okay. <laughs> I'm just looking at the poster for it now and I'm like, wow, that it looks like a ripoff of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. Like, it's it's hard to, like, classify what the sequel well, just, is just the character it's so design. different. Yeah, just the character designs, though. Like, it's like, that's Riff Raff. Uh, that <laughs> face looks more like Meatloaf. Um, yeah, I can see that. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the DIY of this film. Because uh, it's, it's pretty basic setup. You've got abandoned houses and a field. And that's pretty much it. It was effective. <laughs> yeah, the Texas Chainsaw, to, yeah. to, to Ryan's point, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre proves that simplicity is the best way to go. Especially when you look at how this film is paced. It is paced to where the first, over the first third of this film, you're spending with these kids in a field in abandoned houses and you're not really sure why you should be invested into them and you're not really sure what the hitchhiker's deal is but then as you kind of get to explore a lot of these things uh i mean you're right like i, I think it, it makes it effective to be uh a lot as long lasting of a legacy as it is there's a reason that people are studying this in film classes yeah the uh, the, the the parts that worked for me um and I mean, you're right about like the pacing and everything about the film. What added it for me is that I kind of had like 
personal, not personal experiences that are similar to the film, but just the layout and where they filmed. Um, my grandfather owned a farm in Arkansas when I was a kid and about 88 acres and he was a cattle farmer and about 10% of the property was in the woods. So when they're walking through the field and they get to like the swimming hole and it's dried out and when they see the house that, uh, and it has the generator going, that reminded me of his neighbor's house when he had to walk across the field. So like when I saw them doing that, I'm like, oh, I've had to walk across a field like that. Oh, look, I've seen houses like that. And then the house that the family lives in, that Leatherface lives in, is very similar to the house that my that my family lived in. We lived in Alton, Illinois, where every single room has a door. And just the way that the house was like laid out, like that was the, that that's the way my childhood house looked like. And I hated it. Did any of them have metal doors? Uh, the only metal door, uh, that was in the house was in the basement that cut off from the room that had the oil tank in it, but that was ripped out before we moved in. Okay. Yeah. I'll say to your, go ahead, Alan. I've worked on some, uh, some horror films and looking back on it now, like you could really tell the, the, Friend of the show, Doctor Boone took a little bit of influence from this with the setup, like this, just the style of the old home that we were in for his film Ghosting. Um, it's very, it was very reminiscent of that for in uh, in just the lighting too. Like I think uh, the way you light an old house to make it look even creepier is very basic. And you don't need much light. You just need that one source of light in a room to make it creepy. You don't need anything else. Like what? Like when she goes in and finds the grandparents, like there's just one light on. And you, and you might think to yourself, why is that light on? And it's like, well, because it's a film and you need light. But also just because it makes it creepy. Yeah. What I was going to say also, too, is Hooper is very much a master of taking very simplistic things and just making them unsettling the scene in particular uh where kirk walks in and he like sees like the swarm of like spiders up on like in the ceiling corner is just a very unsettling thing um franklin finding the bones is another like really simple unsettling thing uh and then also too the uh the scene that i mentioned earlier where pam stumbles into the, the the chicken bone room uh is just it's such a simple concept but it's super unsettling and he crafts and weaves that a lot through here to where the terror of the film never feels really heavy heavy-handed but it, it weaves itself right in there and that it proves that you can do so much with diy filming yeah So what else you got for us on this film, Josh? What else you want to talk about? Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of surprised that Ryan liked it, this movie. <laughs> and uh, I, I love the fact that Ryan liked, liked this movie. I've I've come to know in the, the year that I've known Ryan, he's sometimes a hard man to please when it comes to cinema. Well, yeah. It, yeah, yeah it, that, 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 that's it, fair. <laughs> it can be. It just, it's, it's the, the way that I come 
the, the the way that I come to film is just as a fan. Like that's really it. Like I don't have the schooling that Alan does. I never really deep dived into movies as a kid, like how like you said that you did. Um, so me, it's always really been just like, do I like it or not? And what movies do I instantly go to to want to put on whenever I want to watch something? Um, and so be- because of that, I've kind of developed like a very strong liking towards like certain genres and horror just isn't one of them unless it's sure. one of the like real classics, one of the real big classics. And I mean, th- this is a classic. I just had never gotten around to see it yet until now. Um, and when it comes to horror itself, I'm very picky. Like I like a film like Hostile, Human Centipede, or Saw. I don't care for those movies. I'm not into torture movies. I'm not into gross-out movies. I want, and, and, and like, I I want a film that has a plot that goes even-handed with the amount of gore or scare that's in it. And so, when you get a movie that is like, oh, you might have a really good storyline, but then you line that up with torturing a bunch of people. I'm not going to spend an hour and a half watching that. So, so I'm glad you brought up the torture, torture uh, horror, a little bit because towards like the third act of this, once they have her uh, captured, it felt like torture to me. Like that was the hardest part for me to watch. Like him chasing people with the chainsaw and the suspense of that is one thing, but her just screaming over and over and over after a while it was getting to me because it, mm. it it's 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 you're watching her be tormented and af- afraid for her life and the screaming just kept going and it is like okay like i this is putting me on edge just because of that yeah it's, it put me on edge but in a different way <laughs> um so when it comes to the whole torture thing like Everything that she was going through makes sense for what the storyline was. Mm-hmm. She's trapped in a house with a bunch of psychos, and they're keeping her alive for a specific reason, and they're just nuts. Like they're, sh- it's like um, uh, the storyteller is showing you how crazy they actually are in that moment when she's tied to the chair in the dining room, yeah, and having all of them do their stuff. So you I mean yeah, she was being tormented, she was being tortured, but. When it, to me, there's a difference between psychological, like, in-the-moment torture that fits the story narrative compared to, like, a serial killer that puts people in a room that they can't get out of and, like, puts, like, oh, uh, and puts, like, rings through their wrists or have them yeah. dive into a, pe- uh, uh, um, or dive into a swimming pool of, like, uh, 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 needles to get a key or something. Yeah. Um, so, while you're talking... Part of it... <laughs> no, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, the part of the screaming that got me to, like, lose all of my investment into that scene was when they decided to do close-up of the eyes, close-up of the mouth, close-up of the forehead, back, and then mouth, and then eye, and then back and forth, and it went on for, it seemed like, five minutes. And after, like, about halfway through all that, I'm like, okay, I get it, she's panicked. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I think they do that to, um make you feel uncomfortable like yeah, yeah you you get annoyed with it but it's like how can and, you make the viewer like josh and i talked about this a lot with um we did a live stream over the weekend talking about the quiet a quiet place 
it, it does a good job of trying to get you into a state of mind that you're uneasy. And I, that's why you cut back and forth to all these different things randomly. There's no r- rhyme or reason to it. It's just to put you on edge and make you feel uncomfortable. And that's fine. It just, it made me uncomfortable in a different way. It didn't make me uncomfortable as in it got my anxiety up. It made me uncomfortable as in how much longer are they going to be showing me random half a second scenes um, uh, as of her screaming. Because if it would have lasted maybe half of what it did, it would have been more effective for me personally. But I can... But I completely get why they did it. It's just, for me personally, about halfway through, I was like, okay, can we please get on with the story? <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. It, I remember the first time that I, I, I watched this, and like I was very unsettled by that particular scene also. But like I said, like I, I at this time in my, you know, I've seen this film dozens of times now, and, you know, it, it, is so much more effective to me now as a plot device and as mm-hmm. a visual medium, like what Alan was just talking about with a quiet place, you know, John Krasinski does a lot of, uh, creative ways to really make the viewer feel that intensity that you are going to through, um, Alexandra Aja with, with crawl, um, did that. And then, don't breathe is another great example. Like you're taking like all of these like really uncomfortable things and bringing them to the forefront. Um, Because, and you got to also remember at this time, this is a, this is a time where the, the term serial killer is still in its like infancy. Yeah. Uh, You know, and filmmakers were really starting to push the boundaries of what you could do with a horror film. You know, this is one year after the exorcist. This is a movie that literally scared people into hospitals. And here you have something like the Texas chainsaw massacre that is just unsettling as a visual representation of just the evil that people can do. And it Mm -hmm. forces you to, uh, look at those societal evils and not only that, but also feel sympathy and compassion for their victims. Yeah. And that's one of the, uh, the only thing I knew about this movie going into it was that they took, um, was that the filmmakers took stories from a serial killer that they found, I think maybe four or five years before they made this movie. Um, I forget the guy's name, but he was the one that put like human skin on lamps and actually made furniture out of bones. So this movie was based on Ed Gein. That's a serial killer yeah. from the late twenties, early thirties, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, Hitchcock based, uh, Norman Bates off of him as well in Psycho. And um, I think it was either Hannibal Lecter or Buffalo Bill. I always get those two confused, but the, one of the characters from Silence of the Lambs also, okay. yeah. also based on him. But yes, he did have uh, human skin lamps. Yeah. Yeah, because there were a few people that inspired the whole Buffalo Bill character, which is why... Like, people watch that move and they're like, oh, no, it's this guy. Like, no, it's him. Like, no, it's this one. Because they wrapped up, like, three or four different people into his personality. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, um, uh, 
Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, while we're on the topic of unsettling, let's talk about the introduction to the Sawyer family in this one in the hitchhiker that they pick up in middle of nowhere, Texas. Uh, this is probably one of the arguably best scenes in this film. Um, you know, we talk about how uncomfortable Sally is in this finale, but this is kind of the introduction, the, the groundwork, the foundation, the bedrock for the insanity that is going to undertake them. Um, and particularly one scene that uh, where he comes back into it is when he sees Sally for the first time after in the in the third act and he's like oh i thought you guys were, were busy like it just kind of shows you and demonstrates that this is a guy that literally just is insane um what do you guys think about his introduction like i said that scene in the van is probably my favorite scene in the uh whole film you can touch cut the tension there with a with a knife or a razor blade whichever you have on you um but <laughs> Yeah, his performance is great. The way they made him up with the, um, the, I guess it was a birthmark on his face. Um, and then just the, the costume and the makeup, just he, was, he looked unsettling. And then you have everyone else looking at him. And it just like the way it's framed and they're all set up like on one side compared to him. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed his introduction. Yeah, yeah. It, it um, the entire time they picked him up, I'm like, you don't pick up hitchhikers, don't do it, don't do it. You're gonna do it, and you're it's gonna be horrible, you know. Because of when I first started it, I'm like, okay, trope one, trope two. But then I had to be like, nope, this is the beginning of it. Stop it. Um, but it was, yeah, it was one of those things where the more he kept on talking, the more I was just like, just kick this guy out of the van. Don't even slow down. Open up the door and just boot him right out. Um, and then he grabbed the knife or he, he handed the knife over and I'm like, okay, yeah, you guys are dead. <laughs> as soon as he handed over the pocket knife, I was like, yeah, no, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. His introduction I think is, is really great because it kind of, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been on like really long car rides where you just find stuff to like stuff. You just run out of stuff to talk about. And it gets yeah. to a point very early in the movie where they're talking about, like, how to kill cattle and, like, how the best way it is. And then they pick up him and him and Franklin are having that back and forth. And he's like, oh, no, you don't want to do the air gun. You need the sledgehammer because the sledgehammer is kind of like this, like, really a way to, like, torture and bring out, like, the most brutality of the killing the cattle. So you have that juxta juxtaposed with the previous conversation, and they're woven into, uh, you know, the the cutting of his, his skin, and he pulls out his own blade and tries to hand it to Kirk, and then he uh, takes a picture of Franklin, and then he burns it. It's like, this guy just doesn't know, like, how to be off, and we're one thing seems to be and he's already on to the next thing and yeah. i just his manic energy just allowed that film to just kind of be thrust into overdrive really quickly but still stay in, in sync with the rest of the the film yeah because he did once they get rid of him the film you're uneasy about everything going forward like you don't know like because he marks the van and you're like is he gonna 
like is that going to come into play later like what what's that all about because the characters address it like what is why did he do this um in the chat uh a friend of the show peak says everyone always picks up the sketchy hitchhiker right <laughs> have you guys ever picked up a hitchhiker no <laughs> no <laughs> uh i kind of did once not driving but when i was at state college uh i would always take the bus like the local bus home from work but they would always have the the mega bus there as well uh one day this kid who was uh, like early 20s got stranded by the mega bus trying to get back to new york and I felt bad for him because they had all of his stuff. Uh, he All he had was his cell phone because he went into Walmart to pick up a few things. And he had no way to get back on the bus because they left without him. So I was like, you can crash on my couch for the night and get, I'll get, help you get on the bus the next morning. Um, so that's the closest I have to uh, picking up a hitchhiker. I lived, obviously. Yeah. But or did I? What you did was worse. Yeah. I'm a he good judge of character. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I slept with the door locked just in case. Like I was careful about it, but I, I, I could tell he was genuinely down on his luck. So this movie, this movie proves that locked doors don't mean anything because he, chainsaws he didn't have go a ch- right through them. He didn't have a chainsaw. So that you know of. Yeah. If he had a chainsaw, it was very tiny and I'm pretty sure I could handle it. I just, uh, just real quick on the, on the subject of hitchhikers, I just remember, uh, when, was it Pete that asked it? Friend of, friend of the show, Pete? Is that who asked the Peak, question? Peak, yes. Peak, okay. So when he asked that question, I just remember that episode of The Simpsons where, uh, Bart gets a fake license and they, they drive cross country. It's Millhouse, uh, Ralph, that's not Ralph, um, Nelson. Martin. Martin Nelson, Nelson, yeah. And uh, they're like doing this like montage, and he's just kind of like, hey, Bart, can we pick up that hitchhiker? He was like, yes. And like, he's just like stoned out of his mind. And all he (laughs) wants to do, the first thing we see him do is, can we go get ice cream? (laughs) Um, All right. So, what else do you want to talk about, Josh? I want to talk about Leatherface. I mean, okay. this is the film that kind of jump-started his popularity and his mainstay into the horror. When you talk to people now, obviously, his popularity has got overshadowed by Nightmare, Friday, and Halloween. People look at those more than they look at uh, Leatherface. But Leatherface was really a pioneer in his own right. And when you start to look at his sequels, I again... I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in this this podcast that has seen hmm. the sequels. Um, they they just they really lean into like the Texas inbred, like just dumb down guy. Like especially in Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two thousand three remake kind of returned him to his roots. But he honestly like I don't know if it was just kind of like un intentional coincidence or like actually like legitimate intelligence uh this was the first time that like i noticed the way that he was kind of like luring these victims in to kind of meet their demise uh he would kind of like make like pig squeals and 
then also so then you have Kirk and Pam they go first and then you have um golly Sally's boyfriend whose name I uh can't remember off the top of my head um he goes in looking for them afterwards and every time that they enter the house it's because they're hearing a sound yeah and boom you have that sledgehammer scene the, the first one and he really does demonstrate a lot of emotions for not saying literally anything they make they do a good job at really making him smart sympathetic and also extremely timid uh he's kind of the only slasher icon that really kind of has a for lack of a better word a weakness um, that shows any weakness because when you see him in the cook interacts, you can kind of see that abusive relationship. Here you have a guy that literally just killed three people, but yet he's afraid of a spoon or whatever yeah. the, the the cook was hitting him with. Well, you, you kind of saw that too because he kills the first two, and then the third guy shows up and he kills him, and then he has that like, oh my god, what am I going to do? There's more than just a you know like a solitary couple coming to the door. They've got friends showing up, looking for them. What am I going to do? And they do that scene of him by the window where he's like putting his hands in his face, and you know they show him thinking. And that's not really a pose you see a lot of these villains in these movies. Like they're either non-thinking, just brutes, or they have a plan already in place in case something like this were to happen. And he didn't, and they showed that. And that's what I liked um, about it. But you also mentioned about 2003. I've seen 2003, and I like that one. The only scene that makes me... is the meat hook thing with her. Oh, yeah. In, in, uh, uh, is the meat hook in, uh, um, is in 2003. So when he was about to put... Was it Pam on the meat hook in this one? Yeah. In the original, I'm like... Oh my god, they're going to do the meat hook in this? I really no, I I can't. And then they do it and I'm like, "Oh. That's right. This is this is low budget. She's probably just hanging there on a harness because they didn't put any noise to it. They didn't like show her try to like lift herself off and drop back down on it again like they did like they didn't like they did in 2003." So, yeah, and I love the parallels I saw between the two. Yeah, the the meat hook is uh is definitely a trademark of of the the series by this point um but yeah to your to your point like you look at someone like freddy krueger freddy krueger is someone that starts off really dark he's a child molester he is a child killer and yet they have reduced him kind of to like a wise cracking one-line guy um jason just does not show any emotion at all um i mean yes you can make the argument that part two kind of demonstrates the emotion in the finale but for the large part he doesn't and then you have michael myers that has really shown like shows intelligence and like kind of has like a really dark sense of humor in the original 1978 halloween we see it again in 2018 but texas chainsaw really this is the first time that you're seeing a slasher now icon that is demonstrating emotion that is demonstrating uh complex a complexity to his character arc yeah and it's it's something that for the ones we've been talking about a lot of these films came out in the 70s 
Um, and I kind of want to veer off just a tiny bit. Uh, in our Facebook group that we have for uh, for, for 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 the cast, yes, yes, uh, yesterday around this time, I put up a poll. Uh, for people to pretty much pick out their favorite horror films from the 70s. Because I really feel that that all of the innovations and all of the like experimentation with horror in the 1970s is why we are where we are now when it comes to horror films. Because it really went... like Because prior to, I'd say, 1970, when somebody says, Oh, name what a horror movie's like from the 60s. I go, I don't know, Creature from the Black Lagoon? Because to me, that's how horror was like... Before the 1970s. And yeah. now you've got like The Exorcist, you got Halloween, you got all the remakes to it. Uh, but then you also have like the whole um, like the Conjuring series. Like I really feel like you wouldn't have that without the 1970s. Um, and the selections that I picked because I, I wanted to go for like the top ones from the 70s. So you got Halloween, The Exorcist, The Hills Have Eyes, The Omen, Carrie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Animobile Horror, and The Wicker Man. Um, and Halloween. Not the, and the Exorcist. Yeah. That one? Um, not, not the remake, the original. Um, I don't really count the remake as even a film, but anyway. Um, <laughs> it's even a, uh, um, so Halloween and The Exorcist tied with six votes each. Which I'm not surprised, because those two are like, to me, from the 70s, they were mainstream, they got the genre out to, to practically everyone. So people who hadn't seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or The Hills Have Eyes, they definitely saw this. Um, so so I'm not surprised. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes came in third with three votes. The Omen came in with one. Carrie came in with one. And then... Chainsaw Massacre, Animeville Horror, and Wicker Man gets no love. <laughs> yeah. So that's cause... how the poll worked out. So I, I talked before about how I'm not big on horror. There are five of the movies that you listed in that poll that I have not seen. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I've only seen Halloween because you made me. Uh, Texas ah. Chainsaw Massacre, obviously, because we're talking about it. And Carrie. Yeah. So. so, out of the ones that... Hey, you've never seen The Exorcist? No. Bro. Oh, that's... It's so good. Okay. It's like we'll, we'll, we'll do it for Halloween. Movies ever made. We'll do it for Halloween. Or can before, I interject you never know. And, <laughs> Can I interject and come back for that one? Oh, sure. Yeah, if you want. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Is he, my, I, the, the one that... I, honestly, the one that I'm most surprised at that... Um, I thought the Omen would be more popular. Yeah, I like Omen, the Omen. The Omen's an interesting one because it, it gets overshadowed a lot because of uh, uh, Rosemary's Baby, which was kind of almost the same plot released yeah. 10 years prior. And that's kind of gone on to go in more iconic status. And you have a lot of that iconic status because of Sharon Tate being tied to it and then her ties with the... Um, the Manson murders a few years later, and then Roland Polanski and like all of his pedophilia stuff as well. Yeah, um, Omen's one of the only th ones that I, on that list that I have not seen. Yeah, it's 
there's a there's a certain breed of dog I didn't like for a while after watching this when I was a kid. <laughs> it's supposed to be the devil's bodyguards or whatever, and the dogs protect the kid. And it was one of those things where it's like, I love the breed now. I don't have any problems with any breed of dog. But at the time, I was really young, and I was like, okay, no, the, those are the devil's dogs. Must stay away. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what... I just wanted to get that poll out there since okay. I had that up for about 24 hours. So, so Josh, do you want to talk a bit about The Cook? I do. He was actually next on my list. The Cook is... Um, I figured out there... the way your list was going, so I figured I'd help you out. So there's there's another interesting thing in like one of the sequels that when you look at when they first pull up to the, the gas station and you just see the word barbecue... But you can actually see that there's like two smaller words right next to barbecue. Uh, it's supposed to be like an it's supposed to be like a um, analogy for something. But he was supposed to be kind of the cook, um, and that's one of my favorite elements that they do bring back when with him in the in the sequel. It's it's wild. Uh, but yeah, he he's an interesting character, I think, because. Uh, you're not really like sure you can trust him until like probably the second time that you he comes back like you're not sure like can i trust this guy can i not and like just kind of like watching him like be abusive but yet you can still tell that like leatherface and the hitchhiker have this like very solid dynamic even with the grandfather and the cook just kind of feels like the odd man out to where like when everyone's laughing at Sally, is you have the cook like looking around the room, like unsure if he should laugh or not, and then just kind of gives into it. And he is very much a interesting person to talk about in an emotional capacity. Even when he's in the truck with Sally, he has this like hesitancy to like actually beat her, but yet at the same time, it's almost kind of like a privilege. Like you're seeing or doing something, you know, you probably shouldn't. So I have a question about the grandfather. Sure. Yes. He, he, he was under 30 when he shot that. Okay. <laughs> well, my question, I thought it was a corpse the whole time, but then I saw him like kind of moving. So is he supposed to be alive or is he supposed to be like a corpse that they're just wheeling around? No, he is – he's very much like he's on his like deathbed because if you okay. look really closely when uh, he's – like they have Sally bent over the bucket for the sledgehammer and they're trying to get him to, to like yeah. beat her. You can kind of see like – or no, sorry. That's not the right scene I'm thinking of. It's the scene where the they cut her finger and he – they put it – stick it in his mouth and you can kind of see like the way that he's like reacting to it. It's kind of I don't know any other way to say this. It's kind of like Viagra for him to where he okay. kind of becomes alive. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was I... I was doing laundry like folding laundry while I was watching this and I, I was like, wait, is he supposed to be alive or dead? Like I couldn't really tell what was going <laughs> on there. Yeah, well I mean it, it, I, I, I could definitely understand that because when they first show him, he's in the room with their grandmother and she's like halfway decomposed. And then when they showed yeah. him, you could tell, be like, oh, well, his skin's completely white. Is he alive or is he dead? Because, I mean, like I've seen the movie Seven and I thought that when they go into the room with, with, 
with the guy on the bed, I seriously thought he was dead. And I still have problems watching that scene even today because you seriously think the guy's dead on the bed because they're pumping him full of heroin. And then he like wakes up, but his skin's completely white. He looks completely dried out and he's still alive. So I'm going to assume since it was like that in that movie and the way the grandfather looked in this one, art, art can, art can imitate life. Yeah. So I'm going to assume the writers know of or seen family members who were in that bad of a condition and they were still alive. I don't claim to be a medical profession. Uh, or to quote Homer Simpson, I'm <laughs> not a fancy big time lawyer. <gasps> um, <laughs> <laughs> I watched The Simpsons before we started this, so sorry. Um, You're good. But... We will never I, object to Simpsons quotes on this podcast. Yes. Um, I, I would say that they're probably, and I'm only, I'm very literally like only a quarter way through the book right now, but like, I would definitely say that they probably did their research on stuff like that. Um, because like there, there had to have been at least some sense of research that came into here. Uh, when it came to writing certain portions of it, and I definitely would think that the grandfather's has to be one of those. Yeah, yeah. Because he, because it was a, even after he drinks the blood from 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 uh, from the character, when they're putting that hammer in his hand, you can tell he's trying to grip it. You can tell that he wants to use it, but then but then Leatherface, being Leatherface, is trying to like move his arm for him, and it's a combination of. of what Leatherface is doing, what the grandfather wants to do, as to why the hammer's always being dropped, because they're not in the same mechanical motion. Sure. So. Well, yeah. And I think Leatherface is trying to look more like his grandfather, hence the Leatherface. Like, because <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Final thoughts before we wrap this up. Anything else we want to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about this ending real quick. Okay. Um, because this ending, Sally escapes and Leatherface basically stop. There's a 18 wheeler stops on the side of the road. And basically what happens is truck driver gets out and it's now like, it's, it's interesting to talk about this ending because it's, it's simultaneously like intimate, but it's also chaotic. And I just kind of wanted to. Uh, get your guys' thoughts on, on how you, how this film ended. I really like the the shot of her just in the back of the truck when she finally gets away and just laughing. I I really enjoy like just the the release of all the tension. Like she's hysterical, but she has every right to be. Like, um, I really like. The, the tension of that last scene because you don't know if he's going to get into the tractor trailer with them or how they're going to get away with this. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the ending. Yeah, yeah. I like the ending too. I really want to know what happened to the semi-truck driver though because he just kind of like runs off. <laughs> leaves yeah. <his> truck. <laughs> they don't acknowledge him. At, but but anyway, besides that, I've, I've seen that video of like Leatherface dancing at the end and i've seen all of the like internet comedy stuff where they put like you know celine dion music to it or you know whatever of you know like him dancing you know like abba and like stuff like that um 
and I've never understood the context to it, uh, but now I do, and I find it even funnier now. Um, that now that I know, uh, but yeah, no, I I really liked how chaotic that scene was because it was like the entire time I'm thinking to myself like, is somebody gonna live at the end of this, or is this like? Or is the reason why this is so popular is because nobody does make it out alive. And then it was like at the very end, what 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 you were hoping for somebody to come by and save her, she gets like two people show up at, the, at like randomly at like the exact same time. The, the 18-wheeler shows up and then the pickup truck driver shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before you get into final thoughts, just throwing this out there real quick. They are taking a Halloween route with this. This year, you are getting a Texas Chainsaw sequel to this movie that we're talking about here uh, with Old Man Leatherface. Um, oh, really? Byrne, Yes. Marilyn Burns, who plays Sally in this, is, has been recast, as has um, Leatherface, because of Gunnar Hansen's passing a couple years ago. What, what's that going to be called? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's okay. that literally what they're, what they're calling it, which I uh, uh, have my qualms with, but, you know. Yeah. Okay. And that's coming out this Halloween? Uh, it's supposed to come out sometime this year. They have it, uh, Bloody Disgusting reported that as of April 15th, I think, this year, they had rated it R. So, uh, trailer should fingers crossed be coming any day but cool. if it's anything like the last movie we got in the texas chainsaw series we won't see it for a couple of years so <laughs> fingers crossed that doesn't happen yeah and movie movie release dates are still messed up from uh last year so yes all right well i think that about does it for the texas chainsaw massacre um josh where can people find you with victims and villains so if you guys are on Instagram or Letterboxd, you guys can follow me personally. It's at CaptainStalgia. And if you guys are on those platforms as well, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your podcasts from, you guys can find Victims and Villains there. Victimsandvillains.net is where you guys can find uh, all of our all of the episodes as well. Um, most importantly, our mental health resource library. Yes. Um, if you haven't checked out Victims and Villains, I highly recommend it. Uh, they've got a great, we, we have a great group of writers over there. There's always great uh, content coming out of there, and the mental health resources are great. And even if you don't find them helpful for yourself, if you can forward them to somebody who might need them, it's definitely always worth it. Um, as for us, uh, if you're watching us on Twitch, go ahead and hit that follow button. Uh, you can also catch up on older episodes of You Have to Watch This Podcast on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and um, Amazon Music. Um, you can fo- like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and follow us on TikTok. Uh, we're trying to do more TikToks. Uh <laughs> Devin will be here in a few weeks, so we're going to probably do some fun video content then. I'm right um, here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but a small programming note. 
Uh, with next week being Memorial Day, we will be taking a week off from the show, so there will be no podcast next Tuesday. Uh, I might hop on and play some games here on the Twitch channel just to keep it active. Uh, so you might see us a little bit next week, but we won't be doing an actual show. However, with Devin coming in in two weeks, we will have a supersized show the following week with me, Devin, and Ryan all in the same room, all on the same camera. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We hope to see you there. Um, so, thank you again, Josh, for joining us. We, it's always a pleasure, and I think we will be inviting you back. I know you were worried about it with this one, but I was. But when Ryan said he liked the movie, I was like, "All right, cool." Yeah, friendship security is is intact. The the goal is to get Devin to not want you back. Like that that's that's high praise. Uh, Another podcast I host. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, for you have to watch this podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan, and I'm Captain Nostalgia. And we'll see you in two weeks. All right.